Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Here's a question I always wanted to ask a Spanish speaker, actually, right? So in, in, in Spanish, you have buenos dias, buenas tardes, and buenas noches. What, what do you say for good afternoon? Buenas tardes. But isn't that good evening as well? Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have like a concept of an evening, really? Yeah, of, an, be, of an afternoon, right. sorry. It's like a.m., p.m. and uh, the night, basically. So you would have buenos dias is for like anything before lunch, I'd say. Okay. Uh, yeah. And tardes would be anything after lunch. Okay. What if you not had your lunch? Well, then <laughs> you should, mate, because uh, time is yeah, against you. Yeah, you're going to get sick. <laughs> <laughs> Is it is it anything to do with like the siesta kind of thing? Why you don't have a concept of an afternoon? I don't fucking know, man. Honestly, no? uh, maybe Manu knows because uh, well, I don't take we don't take siestas where I'm from. Maybe That's true, maybe yeah. maybe in Vigo. No, and actually, for example, in my family, my sister does, but I, I I have never done because always when I sleep siesta, I get sick because I, I mean you know like I'm not able to sleep like this twenty minutes nap. If I start to sleep, I sleep for four hours and then I, I, I wake up and I'm kind of. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe it's because of that. Maybe because of that concept, we don't have this afternoon word. You yeah. say buenas tardes and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Weird. Oh well. Well, uh, welcome to this week's episode of the One Football Podcast. I'm Dan Burke, and this week we're once again going to be getting updates from our Spanish, Italian, and English correspondents. Uh, we'll start with La Liga this week, and I'm again joined by Manuel Dominguez. Hola, hola. And Daniel Cadena Jordan. Buenas tardes. So the never-ending season finally ended in La Liga last Sunday. Uh, Danny, I'll come to you on this one. How do you think Spain's project restart went in the end? Did you enjoy the wall-to-wall football or was it all a bit too much? Um, I think it was an interesting way of proposing it to have like uh, football day in and day out, right? But in the end, it does feel a bit forced, not only for us as viewers, but also the actual players, the whole logistics, everything seemed a bit too strenuous. And uh, you had cases like, for instance, Real Sociedad, they were complaining that they might have lost seven points just because of the calendar, meaning that they rested, Mm -hmm. sorry, seven days, just because they rested seven days less uh, than the rest in a total of like three games or four games, like back to back. So, yeah, I mean, they're complaining a bit about that. Uh, but all in all, I think you could give it a solid, what, 6 out of 10, maybe? Manu, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say that, I mean, people were desperate to, to, to watch football in Spain. And at the end, Tebas was able to, to organize everything till the last day. Everything worked well. We could watch match. It was, it was, there were 31 days in a row. And, yeah, and I would say as well, like, say, I would rate 6 per 10 or maybe maybe 7. Yeah, and what about the new season, Manu? Has there been any talk about when that's going to begin? Yeah. Well, actually, I was not sure if there was like a fixed day for for the beginning of the of the next season, but yeah, it was it was already fixed at the end of of June. It's going to be the second weekend of September, so after, two weeks after the the Champions League final. What means that, for example, teams like Barcelona, Real Madrid, or Atletico, if they are able to reach the the Champions League final, they are going to have longer than two weeks maybe to rest. I don't think so. They would rest. So it's going to be a, a, a tough season for, for all of the big teams in, in Spain. Yeah, and what about the next season, Danny? Is there any sort of chat about uh, how they're going to do it? Like, because, you know, if they're going to start the season in September, when is, when is the next season going to end and that kind of thing? 
think that's still kind of up in the air for everybody, isn't it? I mean, I think the Euro 21, 2021 calendar is going to be uh, what's like the guideline for the for the actual club competition season, isn't it? Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is no real change to the format. Maybe they'll just tamper a little bit with the with the calendar, make it a bit tighter, and just like uh, like kind of like they did this season, like keep revamping it on the go and like announcing dates um, just like a week before, two weeks before the actual date of the game just to keep things um, like on the, and everybody like in the loop but also uh, like give enough wi uh, wiggle room for for adjusting adjusting to what still will be like the fallout from um, well this really tough season wasn't it mm. uh, well there were a few thrills and spills on the final day of the season firstly uh, Lionel Messi set two was it three new records that he set in the end Danny? Uh, I think it was two actually it was the since he had the the Pichichi award the, the top scorer role uh, in one season he well, he's had now more than anybody else. I think it's a total of seven. Seven, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, actually, Gustavo in the Spanish desk was proposing we should just call the thing the Messi Award at this point <laughs> since he's the guy that's one of the most. And it's actually quite a fair point if you think of it. Uh, and the other one would be um, the most assist in one season, twenty-one total. He got a couple uh, against Alaves in the last match day, and that kind of put him through to uh, well, yeah, holding yet another record in Spain. Mm. And he's got 1,000 goal involvements, I think, for Barcelona now, hasn't true, he? True, true. Yeah, that's the other milestone he hit. It was uh, the first guy in Barca's history to hit the, the like the four cipher number, you know, the, the good thousand kind of thing. Yeah, he's pretty good, isn't he? Pretty good things, pretty good things. <laughs> uh, well, Atletico Madrid and Sevilla will join Real Madrid and Barcelona in the Champions League next season, while Villarreal, Real Sociedad and Granada are in the Europa League. That's massive for Granada, isn't it, Manu? Yeah, actually it is. Actually, I have to say at the beginning of the season, Granada was probably my first candidate to get relegated because if you see their, their squad, I mean, even if they had like well-known names, like for example, Roberto Soldado, who played in, in Tottenham Hotspurs, or for example, the Venezuelan players, uh, Darwin Machis or Jangel Herrera. I didn't expect that Granada was going to be able to, to get in that position. But at the end, it was impressive because they were really con really consistent during the whole season. I don't remember any drop, any part of the season that Granada was going down. And, and especially Granada was really strong against, against the small teams, against the teams that they should be strong. For example, Eibar or Sasuna or, or, or Mallorca, Espanol. And then, I mean, everyone remember this impressive win against Barcelona in, in September. I remember, I guess it was 2-0. So well done for them and they have to enjoy next, next season in Europe. They've got a Venezuelan as well. You mentioned there, Yangal Herrera. How, how highly rated is he, Danny? Oh, he's fantastic. Uh, he, I think he's like the natural heir to Tomas Rincón of the national team in the midfield. Uh, like he's like really well tied up. Uh, he's, they like him a lot. And also it seems like he has his uh, head well screwed onto his neck. So, you know, we'll probably have finally a, a decent... I wouldn't say world-class player quite yet, but definitely someone worth keeping an eye out for. He's definitely mature enough to play somewhere bigger than Granada at this point. Maybe he might even leave. Well, he's alone, but uh, I think there's alone from talks. Manchester City, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there might be talks of him joining a bigger club in Spain later on. I think uh, Darwin Machis is the other Venezuelan there. He also played a fantastic uh, season. Like he, th those two are actually the big names we have in the national team right now for like a like the revamping project we'll eventually have to do. Uh, well, down at the bottom of the table, Leganes could only join, uh, draw 2-2 with Real Madrid. That means they're relegated along with Espanyol and Mallorca. Danny, how much do you think losing Martin Brathwaite to Barcelona affected Leganes in the end? Oh, hugely. I mean, they lost him and Enli Siri, both of them in the winter transfer, I think. Uh, so they both basically lost both their strikers, um, which, as you would imagine, would, would tamper anyone's chances of staying in first division, be it who it may be. Um, but I think in the end, it was really gut-wrenching how, how, how they ended up being 
relegated. They had a, a shot in the 80, in the 90th plus five minute, um, and they missed it. And had they scored that, they probably would have stayed up, and uh, man would be still, you know, crying over Celta. I think. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was a it was a really good overall good season. But yeah, definitely losing Braithwaite uh, was like sort of like the last nail on the coffin for the guys. It's mm. a really big shame because uh, they really did show a lot of heart till the end of the season. You must be relieved that Celta stayed up, then, Manu. Yeah, I am. But actually, after the last match against Espanyol and to see how Leganes fight against Real Madrid. I cannot say that I'm proud of my team. I mean, Celta did a, a terrible performance. At the end, we, we had the opportunity to stay one year longer in, in first division, but we have a lot of things to change if we don't want to, to have these travels at the end of the next season. Uh, well, I don't know about you two, but I felt rather melancholy when I heard that Deportivo La Coruña had been relegated to the third division this week. You know, when I was a kid, they were in the Champions League, they were winning the La Liga title. What's happened to them, Manu? How have they got this, this bad? Actually, the main thing was the start of the season. The start of the season was terrible. Uh, I mean, they were not able to to get, I guess, more than 10 points in the first 15 matches. Then Fernando Vázquez arrived, who is a kind of legendary in Coruña because he's, he's from, from Galicia and he did an amazing season with Deportivo de La Coruña back in the days. And they did it well till this breaking. Even people started to think before the COVID breaking that Deportivo de La Coruña was going to be able maybe to reach the, the playoffs, but then after after the this, this this breaking that happened in March, April, and May, Deportivo getting a really bad 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 form, really bad shape, and that what what is happening. But I have to say that it's not official that they are relegated, because because I mean they are trying they are fighting with with La Liga in order to play again this this last this last match day oh. because you know I mean they, they were not able to play against Fuenlabrada because Fuenlabrada got six positive cases okay and for example now it's Elche which is the team that it's really against how everything happening because theoretically in the last in the last day all of the matches must be in the same time because all of the teams are playing for something and now Elche that got the position to play the to to play the playoffs instead of Fuenlabrada they are thinking come on now Fuenlabrada is going to play against Deportivo de la Coruña that they are not fighting for nothing because they are already relegated so they try to repeat all of the matches and we will see what happened because because the situation right now in Spain is 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 really a mess today for example they are post date the playoffs matches because they don't know how to manage it Fuenlabrada still have six positive cases yes. and they cannot play till Till they have to, to be 15 days in quarantine. So we will see, we will see what happens. But still, people in La Coruña think that they are the option to maybe to have a La Liga with 24, a second division with 24 teams next season. We will see, we will see. Oh, Everything well, is really weird. Yeah, good luck to them with that. So who's coming up from the Segunda next season? Uh, actually, Cadiz and. Cadiz and Huesca, they already got promoted. Oh, okay. and they have to And they have to play the playoffs. Almeria, Girona. Still, we will see if Buenlabrada or Elche, and the other team, I'm not really sure, I guess it's Zaragoza, Zaragoza, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, looking back at the, the season as a whole, Danny, which team, aside from Real Madrid, do you think will be most happy with their season? Well, I think it goes without saying that Granada are up in that list as well. I mean, the mm. first time they're going to qualify to Europe, um, with the, I, I just checked that, the lowest budget in the, in the, in the league. Uh, so it's definitely a huge accomplishment for them. But besides them, which is an obvious one, I would also probably say uh, definitely Real Sociedad for coming back to Europe after a while. Um, and because at the end they did up, uh, all they needed was that last straw to qualify to Europe, right? Like mm. so, it, it speaks of this. It speaks well of the project of the building there, of the things Emmanuel is uh, get putting together uh, at uh, San Sebastian. So I think those two would be the the most solid, uh, you know, next to Madrid for the how the way the season ended. 
Yeah, Real Sociedad drew with Atletico on the, the last day, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. the equaliser yeah. right at the end. So uh, let's hand out some end-of-season awards now then. Who was the player of the season? You can go first, Manu. Mm, I mean, yeah. I'm not going to try to say the, the typical <laughs> ones that they did an amazing season, like Benzema, Sergio Ramos or Messi. I will go for Lucas Ocampos. I really liked him. He came from, from France. I didn't expect that he was going to perform so well as, as, as he did. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he was the top scorer in Sevilla, even if he's not playing as a striker. Yeah, I would rate him as a excellent, you know, like the best player of the season. Why not? Yeah, why not? For you, Dami? Yeah, I mean, uh, setting aside the obvious names, like the ones Manu said, I think Ocampos is a really good shout, actually. Uh, he had a great season. Uh, he's been prolific. And every, like I think he's going to be one of the best signings if someone signs him uh, in the summer. Uh, but if you have to include everybody in the pack, I think even between the top dogs, for as much as I hate to admit it, Ramos had, I think, the best uh the best season of all players. How? Why do you hate to admit it? Well, I'm not. Re- I mean, not really the, big, the guy's biggest fan, am I? So, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I mean, but he did an amazing job. He's he reached what 100 goals for as a center back is ridiculous. The amount of uh, of goals he has in his career. Uh, the guy came back looking like freaking Hercules after the, the the Corona pause, and uh, I don't know. Like overall, he's had like a good, decent, uh, yeah, consistent performance the whole season. Yeah, fair enough. All right, young player of the season then. By which I mean a player under the age of 23. Manu? Mm, in that case, I think I'm going to mention Martin Odegaard. I mean, even if in the last weeks of Martin Odegaard they were not so good as the beginning of the season, his first 20, 22 matches, he was incredible. I mean, he was really impressive because last remember that we had about him was three or four years ago when he was 16 years old playing for Real Madrid a couple of minutes. Then he moved to, to Netherlands. And he came as as an incredible player, a good midfield with final pass, shoot. I mean, he he, he had everything. I mean, Real Madrid has a, a big talent there, and we will see when when we are gonna see him with Real Madrid t-shirt. Mm. Is he over that injury problem yet? Or yeah, I mean, in the last match, I, I think so that he already played. And now the question is if he is gonna be able to to stay one one season longer in, in San Sebastián. He mm-hmm. said at the beginning he wanted to play in Europe with Real Sociedad. At the end, they got it in the last match against Atletico de Madrid. So maybe that's that's the key that we are going to allow us, the, the, especially, for example, our colleague, Hayo, she's going to have the opportunity to, to enjoy him wearing the Royal Sociedad t-shirt at least one year longer. And for you, Danny? Well, I was thinking about Odegaard as well, but to give another name, I'm going to go with uh, Oscar Rodriguez, the kid that is from Madrid, but on loan. And, uh, fantastic season of his as well. Uh, I think he scored, what, nine goals, 10 goals, 22 years old. Uh, he's been vital for them up front. He's not a striker either, so it, that gives him a little more props uh, for being one of the top scorers in, in his team. Um, so, yeah, I think overall, sorry, Leganes, not by not by a lead. Uh, just, so, yeah, I think him. Uh, besides um, besides Odegaard. And coach of the season, Manu? Yeah, we were speaking before about Granada, so why not Diego Martinez? I mean, <laughs> seventh, seventh position, they're going to be in Europe with one of the lowest uh, budgets in, in La Liga. So, well-deserved. Absolutely. Danny? Couldn't agree more. It has to be... I think that's like the one coach you have to give props. I mean, the rest are either have a really good team and made it work, or, you know, they're replaced midway through. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, Diego's the guy. Yeah, and we said before we started that it's difficult to remember a lot of the season because it's been going on for such a long time. True, yeah. But, but the goal of the season for you, Danny? Oh, I would go with the first one of the whole season. Aduriz's goal uh, in the opener against uh, Barcelona that gave Athletic Bilbao the, the win, actually. Oh, yeah, that That's was incredible, wasn't it? Stunner yeah. goal, beautiful. 
Well, actually, you killed me, Danny, because it was mine, the one that I was going to choose, <laughs> the Adulis goal against, against Barcelona in the first match. So now it's going to be hard for me to, to decide which one. Um, thinking about this last weekend, I mean, the regular goals against Valencia was incredible, but it's kind of easy pick because I don't remember too much how were the goals at the beginning of the season or before the corona. But yeah, why not that one? Yeah, why not? Joining me for the Premier League section of the podcast this week is Alex Mott. Hello. And Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. Uh, Joel, you uh, you finally saw your team lift the Holy Grail, the Premier League trophy last night. How did it feel? Um, I couldn't. I can't imagine feeling any better today. <laughs> to be honest, it was uh, it was it was incredible. Obviously, this moment that we've waited for for thirty years, as everyone keeps reminding us. Um, it, it, was, it was just brilliant. I mean, I thought it would be weird, obviously, because of the circumstances. We can't be there. It wasn't how I imagined it would be, but it still feels really, really good. And maybe I had a little cry on many occasions. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's time for my weekly attempt to try and piss on Liverpool's chips. Um, you've seen your team lift the Premier League trophy now, but how do you feel about them missing out on the points record? This was something we discussed um, on the podcast last week. Yeah, I think it's a fair question because, you know, this team have been so good for 11 months of this long season, uh, or maybe 10 months, should we say, because the last month has been you know, a, bit, a bit inconsistent. So I think you know, it was there, the, the points total was there, and you know, we might end up with 99 points, and then you think, ah, oh, that extra two points will make such a difference. Mm. But uh, the, the, the thing is, obviously when it, when it was confirmed that it wouldn't happen last week after we played Arsenal and got beat, um, I think I was disappointed about half an hour and then I realised that we're going to have a hand on the Premier League trophy next week and I don't think people really remember points totals that much remember who wins the league. Now, obviously there is there is a you know a Manchester City elephant in the room on, on that and <laughs> I, I think what that does say is how good how how brilliant that, that team were to get a hundred points because Liverpool have had an absolutely phenomenal season and we still won't get as many points as that city team did. But I, I, you know what, it, it, for me, it doesn't take any shine off the achievements or, or how good the feeling was last night. I, I won't remember the points total in six months' time, but I will remember Jordan Henderson lifting the Premier League trophy. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, I totally agree with Joel. They don't, um, I think it was Roy Keane that said, uh, they don't write your points total on the back of your medal. So, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think this will, and because they won the Champions League as well last year, I think that, you know, it doesn't, the champions of Europe, champions of the world, champions of England, that's all that matters, really. Yeah, getting to 101 points would have been great, obviously, but yeah, what everyone remembers then winning the title, and that's it, I think. Well, more importantly, uh, Joel, how do you feel about uh, Liverpool lifting the trophy to a Coldplay song? <laughs> <laughs> I think we should be stripped of the title for that reason alone, personally. But You can't have everything, and you know what? <laughs> the perfect moment clearly doesn't exist, but... Uh... <laughs> Chris Martin was vital to this Premier League achievement, so fair play. <laughs> <laughs> Onto the game itself, Liverpool won 5-3 against Chelsea on Wednesday night. Um, does a win like that make you feel confident about retaining the title? Does it make you feel worried it could be difficult, or do you not really read much into the performances at this point? I mean, they played, no. they played very well, don't get me wrong, but you know, it was, uh, it was, it was a yeah. crazy game, wasn't it? I think I wrote in, in my piece after the game, I think you saw both sides of both teams in terms of you know, their strengths and weaknesses, and a massive flaws defensively at the moment for, for both teams, especially Chelsea. 
Um, but no, I, I don't read too much into Liverpool's forms at the moment because, you know, as much as, you know, it's unprofessional, I think they've been on the lash for, six, uh, for what, seven games now. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously there is, there is a thing here where, they, you know, they've lost two games since, uh, since the return from lockdown. So, but I, I think... I, I think it's natural for the intensity to just drop because they, you know they, they've been working with this for you know what maybe two seasons now because I think you have to look at this season in context of last season as well and I think they've they've got this achievement they, they've they've got what they were working for I think it's just natural for like so I mean, you know what you when you're back in school and it's the last week before Christmas mm. and you spend the whole week playing on Pokemon or on your Game Boy or, or watching the Christmas films and, and your mind obviously isn't on you know, learn about geography and, and stuff. So I think it, I think it's a bit like that. And but the only thing is, you know, three or four games into next season, if you know Liverpool haven't got ten or twelve points out of four games, then I think you have to look at it and go, okay, maybe you know, maybe have something else changed there. But but no, I don't think anything to be concerned about at the moment. Do you, Joel? Do you think Liverpool do need a new centre back? When you look at that third goal last night where both Gomez and Van Dijk sort of got caught under the ball, um, clearly a lack of communication. Do you, do you put that down to what you said, just a complete lack of intensity at the moment because of, you know, they know they've won, they won the league already? Or do you worry that maybe Joe Gomez isn't going to be pulling up trees anytime soon and they do need another centre-back with Van Dijk? I'm not, okay, I think that's a, a fair question, but no, I, I wouldn't say so. I think it is, you know, a, I think it's dropping concentration as well as intensity. I think... You know what? Pius just go. He, he takes it well, but he, he shouldn't be able to get a shot away. Like, he, yeah. The, the thing is, Liverpool ha- still have the best defensive record in the league, and um, they would have been under under thirty goals conceded. It wasn't for last night. Uh, you know, Joe Gomez has had a, a great season until the lockdown. He's not come back too sharpish, but um, I no, I, I don't think I don't think there's any need for for a new centre back. Van Dijk and Gomez have been one of the best partnerships in the league over the last two seasons. And, you know, again, we'll, we'll see at the start of next season whether they're having a few fractures, but I, I don't I don't think so. They might need to replace Dejan Lovren, whether they get an experienced centre-half for that fourth centre-back role or whatever. But, you know, I, I don't think there's any, any major need, work needed on the defence. That uh, Chelsea record under Jose Mourinho, what was it, 15 goals conceded yeah. all season? Just looks better and better every yeah, year, doesn't it? Yeah. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Uh, well, what about Chelsea then, Alex? I mean, they scored three goals at Anfield and still lost the game. Surely it's pretty obvious what we read into that, isn't it? Yes, I think last time I was on, I said Chelsea one of the best teams going forward in the league and one of the worst defensively, and nothing I've seen since has made me change my mind. They're just... <laughs> I mean, Kepper looks like he's fallen off a cliff. Um, they're, yeah, they're just all over the place at the back. Yeah, five goal, goals conceded last night and pretty easy goals as well. You know, Firmino, free header, Alex, um, Oxley chamberlain at the back post all on his own. Yeah, they, and, you know, they're being linked with Havertz, they brought Zayas, they brought Werner. Um, they're going to have a, an even better attack next season. But, yeah, they're actually crying out for, I would say, a couple of new centre-backs and probably a new full-back as well. They're just... Mm. Yeah, and I'm and I'm unconvinced by Lampard as well whether he can actually coach a defensive unit properly because they just all season long they've looked woeful at the back. So yeah, it's going to be a very very interesting summer for them. I think mm. very interesting. Christian Pulisic is good though, isn't he? Yeah, no, he was fantastic last night. And there's been comparisons with Eden Hazard, and I don't think they're too wide of the mark to be honest. That. that yeah, the run and the assist last night for Abraham was brilliant. And then, yeah, the way he got his shot away, although, like Joel said earlier, it was a little bit easy, but yeah, the way he turned and got his shot away for the goal was brilliant as well. So, 
he's gonna it's gonna be really interesting next year if they do get if they do um sign Havertz, you know, they've got Zayats coming in, they're all gonna be playing for the same positions. It's gonna gonna be really difficult for Lampard trying to trying to you know, get a nail down eleven, I think. It's yeah. yeah, good problems to have, I guess. But yeah, he's been he's been brilliant this season, really has. Uh, what about Manchester United, Joel? They drew one all with West Ham on Wednesday. They look a bit tired in that game. Do you think it's fair to say Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's lack of rotation is catching up with them a little bit towards the end of the season? I think it has, but um, it's you know it's interesting because uh, you know managers get criticised nowadays for for rotating teams, and and, and Solskjaer's obviously stumbled upon an eleven that really works for them. And they were they were firing a couple of weeks ago. I mean, compare last night's performance to the one against Bournemouth. Um, but you know it's. <laughs> It's now come to the stage where you know it it, it, it starts to falter a bit, and now he's getting criticised for not rotating the team. So I don't think Solskjaer can win, but it, it, choosing to rotate the team and make as many changes he did on Sunday, I, I think that or was it yeah, Sunday to play Chelsea? Yeah, mm. I think that's gonna come back to bite him a bit because he's tried to balance it. So maybe he's tried to prioritise the Champions League, and they, they should still qualify for it, but. He's missed a chance of winning the trophy, which would you know a trophy in a top four in his first full season um, would have been great. But yeah, I I I think his meddling's sort of done a bit of disservice here. I I wonder if they're just reverting to the mean a little bit. To be honest, when a, when a club and a team are so up and so down, um, I think. There's a middle ground, and I think Man United, that performance uh, a few days ago was the middle ground for Man United because they've been so so good when Bruno Fernandes came in in January, and so bad before that. I just yeah, I think that that this is probably about right for Man United now. They've they they were so good and they dropped dropping off a little bit. Maybe that is due to tiredness. I don't know, but um, yeah, I just I don't think they were quite as good as everyone was saying they were, and I don't think they were quite as bad as everyone was saying they were before. So yeah, this is probably. Probably about right for them now. Um, I think they'll just just about creep into the top four, which you know at the start the start of the season in October when they were really really bad. You know who would have bet on that really? So um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a really really positive season for Man United, and it's gonna be again like Chelsea a very interesting summer for them to see how they improve and, and what areas they improve and whether they can can go again next season. They've had to play three games a week, you know, nearly every week since football returned, which. Is obviously weird and unusual for most teams in the league, but it's not for Man United because they've been playing Europa League and you know and go far in the FA Cup all season. So it's I don't think you can level that and say oh it's an unfamiliar situation and you know they, they you know they're not used to this because they are used to this. It's just you know I think what you in your question Dan I think, I think him not rotating the team enough has come back to haunt him and and. You know, it shouldn't affect them too much because they should do the job on, on Sunday, but you know, let's see. Well, yeah, the top four race is going to go down to the final day. A draw with Leicester will be enough for United, but they're also guaranteed top four if Chelsea lose to Wolves. So, Alex, gun to your head. Who are you going to say for the top four? United and Chelsea or United and Leicester? I think Chelsea will lose to Wolves and I think United and Leicester will draw, which means Leicester then go in on goal difference. So, mm. I'll go Man United-Leicester. <laughs> you, Joel? That's so interesting because Wolves need the points to get Europa League as well, and Nuno is capable of doing the job. So I think I might do the same, you know. Yeah, United Leicester. Yeah, that'd be a bit of a travesty for Chelsea, really. Having you know, last week they looked like they were sort of nailed on for third place, didn't they? But yeah, it's 
funny how it can all change around. I mean, team over and wants to play in the Europa League instead of Okay. So, so far. <laughs> uh, this question would perhaps have been a bit more relevant before they lost to Aston Villa on Tuesday, but it feels like Mikel Arteta is getting Arsenal steering in the right direction, don't you think, Joel? Absolutely, mate. Um, I think you know what they've beaten the two best teams in the country, you know, over the last week. I think he deserves immense credit because he's getting a tune out of Louise and Mustafi, which. <sighs> Uh, not many managers can do that. To be fair, um, I, I, they, they've looked something that Arsenal haven't looked for years is is solid out out, out of the ball when they're not using the ball, uh, and they have been the last two games. And they've looked very disciplined and they've had a clear plan. But they're also capable of scoring beautiful goals. Because that first goal they scored in City on on, on Saturday night was it's one of the best goals of the season. Mm-hmm. It's, Passing outside to the mm. back and then obviously the, the ball to the back post, it's 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 incredible and he's he's still got a job on. He's got he's still got a job in the summer because uh, there's a little still a lot of players in that team who don't deserve to wear the, the shirt. But um, I, I think what he's shown so far is he's shown what it looks like. He's shown blueprints for how it can look like and how good it can be and. You know, he's got some credit in the bank now because he could win the trophy in his first season. I don't think any team in the country have benefited more playing behind closed doors than Arsenal, to be honest, at the moment. Um, you know, you look at that goal against City, uh, the first one, when they're playing out the back. If that's with an Arsenal crowd, you know, being a bit jittery and nervous behind them, I, I don't think they do that. And I think... Arsenal have actually got quite lucky with the with the post lockdown football. They haven't had the Arsenal crowd sort of you know like I say being a bit nervous behind them, and that's made, that's sort of meant that they can play a little bit more football, um, and and it's meant that Arteta's now got a really good foundation to you know hopefully go forward next season and maybe keep Aubameyang and, and keep some of their better players and you know it's given like David Luiz a bit more confidence especially especially after that first game at City mm. <laughs> um, it's given Jack Jacker's uh, first half performance against City uh, Wembley the other day it was probably his best 45 minutes in an Arsenal shirt so yeah I think they've really really been helped by, by not playing in front of a crowd <laughs> Uh, we mentioned earlier that Chelsea and possibly Manchester United and Liverpool all need a new centre-backs this summer uh, Manchester City need a new centre-back as well. It looks like they're going to go for Nathan Ake from Bournemouth for £35 million. What do you make of that, Alex? Do you think that's a good signing? I think that probably is a good signing, really. Yeah, 35 is, you know, for City isn't a huge amount of money. And he's a, you know, he's a left-footed centre-back, which is something that they needed. And, you know, I mean, you know more than anyone, Dan, they've really struggled not to replace in company this mm. season. So, yeah, they, and, he's, and he is a quality centre-back. He's looked like Bournemouth, one of Bournemouth's better players this season. So, yeah, I think that's a really good signing, actually. Really, really good signing. Yeah, by all accounts, they are going to go for someone else as well. Maybe yeah. Koulibaly from Napoli, something like that. So, yeah. going to spend a bit of money this summer, I think, City. Uh, what's going on at Watford, Joel? Why have they sacked <laughs> Nigel Pearson two games before the end of the season? It was any other club, it would be surprising and then it'd be shocking. But um, it's it's worth it. It's kind of like, eh, yeah, that happens. <laughs> um, I, you know, the, the, the noise coming out is that it was a, a frank exchange of, of views between Pierce and Craig Shakespeare and the Watford board or the Watford owners, um, which is a, the politest way to say someone's called someone a dickhead. Uh, really, isn't it? <laughs> um, but, but uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I it's. It's so bizarre they've done it with not only with two games left, but they, they play Manchester City and Arsenal in those two games. I mean, it's just, it's just any time to throw someone in the deep end and 
try and set a team up. It's it's not for Manchester City and Arsenal, is it? Um, it could prove costly because you know who's to say Pearson would we've got a result against City or might get a result against Arsenal, but it surely would have stood more of a chance than Hayden Mullins has, has had. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really unfair on, on the guy. Um, but you know what? I think it could prove a downfall because I don't think they'll stay, they'll stay up now. I mean, mm. it, it's wild. This is what's happened. And often the posers they've just made bizarre decisions, and usually they pay off. Uh, this one, I think, is going to be costly. I really like Nigel Pearson. I like, unashamedly love him. I think he's really funny. <laughs> he reminds me of like, well, he reminds me specifically of a PE teacher that I used to have. But he also reminds me <laughs> of like, you know, you go and meet your girlfriend's dad who used to be a copper and now runs his own <laughs> yeah. private security firm. Something like that. He's just got that sort of menacing air about him. And that yeah. that uh, press conference where he asked the journalist, are you an ostrich? Is the stuff of legend, if you ask me. If you don't know the answer to that question, and I think you 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 are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. Is your head in the sand? Can you, are you flexible enough to get your head in the sand? My suspicion would be no. I can. You can't. Would you like to play under Pearson, Alec? I think I would. Yeah, just the way he signs up his tweets with cheers, no, it really, <laughs> really makes me laugh. And he, and he seems like a pretty genuine bloke. I, I I don't think he'll struggle for a job now. He's done a really really good job at Watford. And, and he's going to get a nice million pound payout by all accounts. So, yeah, I don't think he'll. I think his reputation's been much improved with the job he's done at Watford. So, yeah, I'm sure it'll be, it'll be fine. Yeah, there's also that story that he was like hiking in Romania one summer or something and <laughs> yeah. uh, got attacked by a gang of, what would you call them, a gang of uh, stray dogs, wild dogs. And he. I think it was wild dogs, yeah. Kicked, yeah. kicked his way out of the. <laughs> yeah. of the forest basically so yeah I wouldn't have fancied being in that meeting with him on uh, before he got sacked anyway no <laughs> well you mentioned there Joel Watford are away to Arsenal on Sunday Aston Villa are away to West Ham and Bournemouth are away to Everton who's going to stay up out of those three would you would you say <sighs> Villa are in the best position there um, and they'll have the big boost of beating Arsenal as well and they come up against a West Ham team who you know what you know they, they played really well last night, but it won't take long for them not to be motivated in that game. If Villa do go into an early lead, I think West Ham can throw that in very quickly. Um, so my heart, my heart's saying Villa there, but the thing is, there's always one little twist in a relegation, you know, dogfight at some point, and I, I think Bournemouth have got. And nailed on three points there away to the Blues. Oh, <laughs> oh! So, I, I, I think Bournemouth might make that a bit messy on Sunday, and there'll be a point where it looks like Bournemouth might stay up. But I still think Villa will will do the business for you, Alex. I think Watford do it. I just, I, I, I think the new manager bounce might, um, might work for them. And you know, they've on the outside, it looks like a strange decision to sack Pearson, but. I don't know, I just, and Hayden Mullins did a pretty decent job um, caretaker last time. So, yeah, I fancy Watford to get a result at Arsenal and I think Villa might crumble last minute West Ham goal. Mikel Antonio scores again. <laughs> so I reckon, I reckon Watford stay up. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, who needs a title race when you've got a relegation <laughs> yeah. battle and the battle for fourth place? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Question here for you, Alex, from Atul Kumar on Twitter. He says, the Premier League this season has had a lot of young players come through. Which young player do you think has the best future ahead of him? Examples include Greenwood, Foden, Gilmore, Saka, Mount, Rice, etc. Yeah, I would say Mason Greenwood. I was, yeah, I was going to bring him up earlier when we were talking about Man United, but uh, he just looks so good. I haven't been this excited about an England player probably since Rooney came through. Just, the, where, just how two-footed he is, which is so, so rare nowadays. The way that he's like his finishing's amazing. The the goal against West Ham in, in the week was just so good. The the amount, the little backlift that he gets and the power that he gets through his shots is just just so so good. His movement's brilliant. I've, I personally think he's better than Rashford already. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I'm just so so excited by him. He looks he looks brilliant. Really really good. Seventeen goals already for United. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Anyone you would add to that list, Joel? Curtis Jones, maybe. <laughs> um, Curtis is all right. I mean, I, I'm, I'm gonna uh, Saka's on that list, but I'm gonna bang the drum for him again because I do think he's really, really exciting. I don't know where his position will be eventually because obviously he's he broke into the team at left back this year. That's not his natural position. He was a winger, but he's also played as an eight and as a ten. Uh, but I think that adds to his, you know. To his strengths, to be honest, that he, he could probably do a job in a few positions. But I was, you know, obviously it's on record as me being a good, big gutted when he signed the contract at all. I thought he would have moved to Liverpool, but you know what? Didn't fancy him anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, 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 you know, Alex made a great shot for Greenwood Day. He, he looked exciting, but I think I think Zaka can 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 do some business as well. Mm. Well, we're all happy to see Leeds back in the Barclays, aren't we? Mm. Yeah, they were brilliant. They've been brilliant these past. You no, know, these past few games are really, you know, like Liverpool. I thought they might have a bit of a drop off after they were confirmed as champions. But yeah, the, their performance against Derby was great, and then scoring four last night against Charlton. Yeah, they've been they've been so so good. Deserved champions, and yeah, really really looking forward to seeing Bielsa and the way and his football, especially in in the Premier League. It's it's going to be really really interesting next season. Really interesting. I looked at it before. That's his first sort of well trophy piece of silverware mm. whatever you want to call it since the 2004 Olympic Games with Argentina so a long time coming for Biel so do you think he's going to do well Alex or do you think he'll be sacked in disgrace in October well to be honest I thought he might walk out of Leeds about two weeks in when he first got <laughs> appointed so no I think he'll see the season through at least I know he's not normally one to sign more than one year extension so I think they'll give him whatever happens he's, he's, he'll be there at the end of next season they'll give him what he wants the players he wants um whether they'll, that'll be enough to stay in the Premier League, I think it probably will, because if it's anything like this season, the quality of, especially the lower, the teams in the bottom half haven't been great. Um, I personally think Leeds could finish top half next season. I think I think he'll do really, really well. And then, yeah, and then let's see where we are this time next season. But no, I'd, he's staying there, definitely, for now, all of next season. Hope so, yeah. yeah. Well, the Championship finished on Thursday. West Brom are also back in the big time. Uh, Brentford, Fulham, Cardiff and Swansea are in the playoffs. Who do you fancy to win the playoffs, Alex? Well, I mean, it was amazing last day, wasn't it? It was absolutely <laughs> incredible. The Championship, again, just being ridiculous. I'm going to say Swansea. I think they'll do a Villa, like Villa last season, just squeaked in after you know a late surge. And yeah, it's a bit of an old cliche, but it really is all about momentum in the playoffs. And yeah, I can, I can see Swansea doing it um, unbelievably, which I certainly would have said even two weeks ago, mm. let alone yeah two months ago. So yeah, I'm going to go with Swansea. Swansea Cardiff final. I have nothing against any of those teams, but I'd love to see Brentford just for someone mm. new, yeah. really. And finally, Joel, what on earth happened to Nottingham Forest last night? <laughs> I, 
they're just used to this, aren't they? They're just used to pain. Um, and I think, I, you know, but this was a ne- this was next level pain, right? Yeah. Just next, I mean, you miss out by a goal um, after pretty pretty much being in the playoffs all season, on the majority of the season anyway. That it's it's such a shame for them. But the thing is that their form's not been great since the lockdown, uh, since the retaining football from the lockdown. That's just happened. But I think what Alex says there about momentum, sort of Swansea going in and that. You know what? Uh, it's hard to look past them for the playoffs. I, I, I'm with you on, on Brentford going up. I'd love to see that. They also play incredible football. They've scored more goals than Leeds this season. Um, they've got something about them. But you know what? It's going to be hard for them to dust themselves down after that that late blow. Um, and you know what? You got to ask the question. They've lost to Barnsley, who who just stay up. But they've lost to Barnsley on, on the game where they needed to win to go up. I, you know what? You got to question the mentality there. And I think. That might do against them in the playoffs as well. And now for the third and final part of the show to talk all things Serie A, I'm joined by Francesco Portio. Hello. And Davide Zanelli. Hello, everyone. First question for you How do you say good afternoon in Italian? Buon pomeriggio. So you do have the concept of an afternoon in Italian because in Spanish they don't. We were talking about this with the guys earlier. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I never thought about that. But yeah, we have, a, we have the afternoon here. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because well, they, they, they say buenas tardes, right? That's uh, right. But that's for like yeah. evening. Uh, yeah, yeah. Established. yeah. Weird. Anyway, with Juventus <laughs> losing to Udinese on Thursday, do we still have a title race with three games to go in Serie A, Fra? Yes, I have to repeat myself every week, but uh, <laughs> we don't have any more title race. No, we don't. No, I don't think so. Because, uh, you know, it's, it's true that Juventus lost yesterday, but, uh, you know, there are three games to go. And, uh, well, the only team at this point, I think they, they, they can't kind of scare Juventus. It's Atalanta, but mm. they have to win against AC Milan and then but I think it's too it's too late, sadly, for a title race. Uh, what happened yes, to the, Juve against Udinese? I think it's it's quite disappointing by from a Juventus perspective that every time this season they have a, a game that they have to win in some way, uh, they don't. And they, that's the big difference between the Juventus of this year and Juventus of the last eight years. This is the first time that I have the feeling that if there was a team capable of actually doing better, they could actually win the, uh, this Scudetto this year. Let me be clear, if the, Juventus, if the Napoli of Sarri was playing this, this season, they would have won the Scudetto instead of Juventus. And that's quite uh, interesting because, you know, Sarri is now the head coach of Juventus. So uh, that's quite um, interesting to, 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 to know that. But... Uh, yeah, I have the feeling that Juventus this year were quite um, not strong enough in some occasions. And yesterday was a clear, 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 clear game that they showed that. Uh, of course, they didn't have uh, Chiellini and Bonucci in defense, but that cannot be an excuse because Udinese are, are uh, racing for the for the um, uh, to stay up in the Serie A, so they're not like they don't want to relegate and. Uh, I think it was very disappointing. Also because I wrote six articles preparing for, for Juventus winning the Scudetto and I couldn't publish any of it. So that was very disappointing. A pers- bit of personal bitterness brought to the yeah, table yeah, there. Yeah. Uh, well, Lazio uh, secured Champions League football for next season. Uh, why have they dropped off so much though, Davide? Because they were really close to Juventus when we came back from lockdown. Now they're going to finish fourth probably. What's happened to them? Well, they were not strong enough to, to last uh, until, uh, until August. Like they, they didn't have they didn't build a, a team 
for a uh, um, 11 month uh, league <laughs> for an, an 11 month season so they didn't have uh, enough substitutions of course immobile did uh, his best season ever but it was not enough uh, uh, at the point you get some injuries with uh, korea for example because korea started really well then he had a couple injuries Caicedo was doing well but of course Caicedo is not like the real Lazio striker uh, for example Luis Alberto and Milinkovic uh, had a small drop during the season like they were not that fit uh, at um, one point you cannot substitute this kind of players with uh, I don't know Cataldi with all the respect I can have for Cataldi or uh, I don't know for example Bastos in the defense uh, Vavro you cannot you, you cannot keep the competition with uh, Juventus uh, Atalanta or, or Inter which are, I think, str uh, stronger and build, uh, built in a better way. For the next season, I think Lazio will try to, will try to improve, will try to, to buy new players. But Scudetto was never the real target for Lazio. At, at one point, they started to believe in it, and probably without the, this long break, they could have had more chances because uh, they were living like the best moment. They were winning every game, even when, when they didn't deserve to win, uh, they were performing well, uh, finding the, the, the goal in the last second of the game. Uh, everything was working well. With, this, with the stop, um, everything stopped. <laughs> mm. uh, after Inter's 0-0 draw with Fiorentina on Wednesday, Antonio Conte said second is first of the losers. Did you get a trophy for that, Fra? Ah, well, that's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I would say that that's the mentality the Inter needed because... Um... I understand that maybe it's a bit rushed saying that because, you know, Inter being second will be also a good achievement after 10 years of, you know, arriving fourth in the last, uh, the last two seasons, you know, was the best uh, achievement in the last 10 years. But I think that that's the mentality Inter needs right now because um, they need some a winner in the bench. And Antonio Conte for sure is a winner because he's the more upset person in the world right now, I think. Mm. I was thinking yesterday while while there was the game going on Udinese Juventus. I was thinking only about Conte. I was thinking, imagine now what he's thinking because they dropped so many stupid points in the last uh, four or five weeks. Inter that right now probably Inter was top of the league if they didn't lose against Bologna, if they didn't draw against Sassuolo, if they didn't draw against uh, uh, Fiorentina. So um, Inter they, they 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 need to be upset right now, and uh, I understand Conte's position. And uh, I think Inter will be the title contender next season uh, for Juventus. Mm. You said that a couple of weeks ago, actually. You think Inter are best, the best team equipped to challenge Juve? You still think that, then? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think so. Because, you know, they, at, at the end, there are not many points difference between uh, Juventus and Inter this year. Uh, if you consider also wh wh where was the starting point. Because last year, there was a 20 points difference between Inter and Juventus. Now it's less than the half. So you know that um, this year was a was a big step for Inter Milan, but next year they have to 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 be a title contender. They need to 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 try to win something. And uh, and Antonio Conte is the perfect person to do that because he's uh, he's the one that you know always, as you know, also in the Premier League in Chelsea, uh, he, he wants the best from the transfer market. He wants specific players. He's very uh, peculiar. In, the, in that kind of you know the dialogue between the club uh, and himself, uh, he seems also always very um, upset and angry against everyone. 
because that's how he is. And uh, Inter, when they wanted Conte, they, they knew that he was the kind of person that always wanted to push uh, forward and push more. And that's how it is. So I think next season Inter will be uh, the title contender number one. Hmm. Well, let's hope so. Uh, but what about Juve, Davide? How do you expect them to strengthen their squad this summer? Have they got money to spend? There's been some talk of uh, Duvan Zapata from Atalanta. Well, at the moment, I don't think they have much money to spend, but uh, they will uh, They will for sure uh, sell some players. And uh, I think uh, also selling uh, some of the players uh, who, who played less uh, in the last one, two seasons... Uh, they can collect some some good money. I, I'm thinking about Rugani, for example. It's like three, four seasons. I don't remember. Uh, he's supposed to leave Juventus, uh, and still, I think with uh, selling Rugani, you can uh, you can get I don't know 10, 15 millions. Mm. Uh, they will send some some more players, and then for sure, if they have the opportunity to to get uh, a top player, they will try in every way. It's like it's like Bar- Barcelona. They are not living the best situ- economic uh, situation of the of their life, but uh, if there is an opportunity, they have to they they have to buy. About uh, Duvan Zapata, I'm not sure because uh, Atalanta, as we were saying, I think uh, Frau was saying that uh, last week, uh, Atalanta doesn't need to don't need to to sell uh, the, uh, the the top players they have. Uh, Papu Gomez uh, should stay, Ilici should stay, Zapata should stay. If you want to buy Zapata, I think at least 60 million, probably also a bit more, because mm. uh, uh, they already sold uh, Kuluseski in January. They are, are going to sell Pessina in, in the summer. They're collecting uh, enough money and mm. they don't need to sell. I think they can still try to improve. Also, because... Um, we don't know how, as we were saying last uh, last week, uh, we don't know how Champions League will go. So they will get money also from, from Champions League. That's right, yeah. For Duvan Zapata, they, they already refused the uh, offer of 50 million. So uh, that means that if a club wants Duvan Zapata, they have to pay at least, at least 60 million to get him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's not that easy to find this transfer window a club that wants to do that. Is he worth it, though? I think so, yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Yeah, I mean, yes. uh, he... He's a beast, really. <laughs> he's, uh, he's amazing. And he's that kind of striker that improved so, so much in the last two years. Uh, I remember him at Udinese and at Napoli, even at Sampdoria. You, you could see the potential, but it seemed more like that kind of potential that never really evolved in a, in a, in a, in a, in a top scorer and a, mm. in a top player. But Gasperini was so good to to change him and uh, now he's one of the top strikers in Serie A. Uh, well, Milan are up to fifth, uh, having gone 10 games unbeaten and they've given a new contract to Stefano Pioli. Is that a good decision from them and does this mean that the uh, the Ralph Rangnick deal is officially dead, Davide? Well, uh, this is kind of crazy because I remember yeah. the last week you, you were asking about uh, Ibrahimovic and you were saying, is there any chance Ibrahimovic could stay? And I was saying, no, no, that's impossible. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, absolutely impossible, he's not going to stay and actually everyone in Italy was was thinking the same. Uh, in three, four days, everything changed. And um, about Ragnik and Pioli, uh, I'm not sure it's a good decision. Uh, I'm, I can, uh, I can understand people who are saying that uh, that Milan is losing an opportunity at the moment because uh, I was really curious to see how uh, Ragnik could have worked in uh, in Milan. A different approach in the Italian football could have been something really interesting. You also have to say that uh, uh, 
with uh, only 30 days, one month of, um, of relax uh, between this season and the next one, you, you cannot build that much. You cannot start uh, like a whole new project uh, mm. as in the last years because uh, you don't have the classic two, three months uh, break. Uh, so Pioli showed he deserved uh, to stay at least one more year because uh, the way Milan was playing, uh, th the way they changed with uh, with Ibrahimovic uh, is something that give, gives you should give you a, a confirmation. I really didn't understand how Gazidis was uh, was working in the last months. I didn't understand why he started. He fired um, he fired Boban. Then he's going to to keep Maldini, Pioli, and um, and probably Ibrahimovic. So I don't know. I didn't understand. Really, uh, what's the what what's in uh, Gazzidi's mind mm. at the moment? But uh, yeah, Pioli Pioli deserved to stay at least one season. I don't know how they will go next season because normally Pioli's uh, Pioli's team uh, don't really perform well in the second season. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm curious to see, and uh, of course he had, he had to stay. Yes. Yeah, good for him. He always reminds me of the actor John Malkovich, Stefano Pioli. Do you know who I mean? Yeah, yeah, he's a, he's, he's a kind of a normal one we, we see for uh, for many for many coaches. He's a kind of normal one. Yeah. So Z, uh, Zlatan might stay. What about Donnarumma, Davide? Is he going to stay? I think so, but I, I think Fra could could tell better than me because uh, uh, he knows much more about transfer market. But I think they're working for uh, uh, to renew his contract, uh, and uh, I think it, there should be a meeting in the next days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, the, um, the idea of the club is to renew the contract of Donnarumma, not for a long term at the moment, they are, because the contract of Donnarumma is expiring next season, so 2021. So it's a very crucial summer, because if they don't renew or sell Donnarumma this summer, he will go for free to another club next summer. So they need to do something. And uh, I, the, the idea also of Donnarumma is to stay at Milan at the moment. So I think they will work a sort of, you know, um, uh, short-term deal, like uh, until 2022 or 2023, I think more 2022. So just one more year of contract uh, with more or less the same conditions because, you know, Donnarumma uh, is uh, 20 years old. He's at the, not even at the, at the peak of his career because he's, the, he's still at the beginning of his career, even if he has 200 caps uh, with AC Milan already. Uh, so I think they, he, he cannot pretend to uh, earn less money. Uh, I mean, that wouldn't be right for him. So they need to find a way to, to make him earn the same money and for a short term. And then they will discuss another deal in the in the future. Mm. That's I think what's going to A couple of uh, big Premier League clubs who might be in the market for a goalkeeper this summer. Do you think he might be? Uh, yeah, but I think tempted away. I think no. I think I think everyone wants Donnarumma. You know, he's that mm. kind of goalkeeper that you know even if uh, uh, he can go to Real Madrid, PSG. Um, why not uh, uh, Chelsea, Manchester United? Yeah. I mean, they can go everywhere. Um, regarding Premier League, honestly, I, um, every time they think a goalkeeper, I think Arsenal. But <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, they don't. They they cannot pretend. They cannot. Um, they cannot have Donnarumma. So no, maybe the that's for that. I, will, I will tell you that now. Exactly. 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 <laughs> well, exactly. Maybe, maybe but, you know, United. Yeah. Possibly. Or Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. Chelsea. But Chelsea, they spend. That's what I don't understand. They spent 80 million last last season for Kepa. 
Yeah, so have you seen uh, him play though? That would be. I know that, but that's <laughs> <laughs> one thing is the money, and one thing is the actual football. <laughs> uh, my friend. Another player being linked with a move to the Premier League is Kalidou Koulibaly. Napoli won't be playing Champions League football next season unless they qualify for it by winning it this season, which I think is pretty unlikely, we can agree. Uh, where's it gone wrong for, yeah. for Napoli this year? And do you think Koulibaly will leave? The problem was that uh, they changed too much. I mean, they didn't really believe in the project of Ancelotti probably in the summer. So they, they, there was already tension between the club, the players, uh, the coach himself. Uh, and you know that all escalate quickly until they arrived at the um, when the players went AWOL and they didn't go back to oh, the yeah. training ground after Salzburg. Remember that one? So uh, and the coach actually went to the training ground because otherwise he wouldn't be fired. So there was all this crazy situation that you know it can't go well. You know <laughs> you know what I mean when there is still like a, um, a tension between the, the the president and the players. But they somehow fix it with the renewal of Mertens, uh, and then arrived Gattuso, who changed completely the mood of the of the dressing room, and you know uh, he's the perfect man for the perfect place right now. So I think now from for Gattuso when Gattuso started, okay, they're not going to the Champions League, but they actually doing way better. Um, forget the last two three games, but now it's a crazy times because they play at every two three yeah. uh, days, so it's impossible. Uh, I, I think in my in my opinion to. Uh, to really rate a season of a club by the last month, for the last month, because mm-hmm. you know, it's crazy how much they are playing. So um, I think Gattuso did a very good job, and uh, we are going to see what they're going to do in Champions League, because you know Barcelona are not in great shape. So why not believing in that game? You know, uh, ne- never say never. We said never say never for Atalanta. Why not saying that for Napoli? Indeed. But apart of that, regarding regarding Koulibaly, as you asked. Um, yes, he's a target for Manchester City, definitely. Um, so he's the um, Manchester City is the is the is the club that um, is closer to Koulibaly than others. Uh, but you know, Napoli and Manchester City, as you well know, they don't have a good relationship. <laughs> for uh, for Jorginho, remember, yes, you know, because the, yeah. the deal was uh, was basically done, and then uh, you know, Sarri went to. Chelsea and they changed everything and so they changed the deal and he went to Chelsea. So they, they don't talk the clubs, the two clubs, they don't even talk. Mm. Uh, so there is a lot of work by the agents and, you know, the other agents involved to try to work a deal. Um, um, so now there is a Fali Ramadani, who is a very important agent who is working this deal. Uh, he's in Italy right now and he's um, bringing the first offer from Manchester City, which is 65 million and probably wouldn't be enough, will not be enough for, for Napoli. Yeah. So um, then then will be up to Manchester City to understand if they want to raise uh, this offer or not. If they will raise this offer, I think Koulibaly can go this summer. If they don't offer more, I think Koulibaly can stay at Napoli. So it's up to Manchester City at the moment. Interesting. Uh, it looks like Napoli are going to be signing Victor Ossiman from uh, Lille. That's a good move for them, right, Davide? Yeah, it's an interesting one because uh, it's a different kind of uh, striker. Uh, they, they didn't have this kind of striker in the last seasons. I think uh, he's pretty dif- very different from, from Mertens, but also pretty different from the other strikers they, they bought in the last seasons, starting from Inglese, Pavoletti, Milik. He's a kind of uh, faster one. Uh, good attacking the spaces. Uh, I honestly don't know Hoseman 
very well because I saw only the first uh, the first half of the season in uh, in Ligana and some games in in Champions League. I didn't follow him in uh, in Benjo, honestly. Mm. Uh, but but yes, if of course if he plays uh, the same way he was playing in the first half of the season in Lila, he's an amazing player and uh, he's a kind of player every coach would uh, would love to coach. But mm. um, we we still we still need to to see him in uh, in Serie A. I'm also thinking about uh, I don't know for example Lozano. When Lozano sing last season, we were saying okay, Lozano is the next big big, uh, big thing in uh, in Serie A, and he struggled a lot to find space uh, and uh, and minutes on the pitch. So we'll see because uh, Gattuso's approach with players uh, is an original one. Uh, he he wants uh, a very strong approach in the in trainings because uh, this happened this season with uh, as I was saying Lozano but also with uh, with Alan if you're not performing at, at your best you're not going to play with uh, with Gattuso and uh, and Ozime I think he will have to fight for a for a share with uh, with Mertens and finally a question for you Fra what's this I hear about Mario Balotelli potentially heading to the Italian third division this summer <laughs> Okay, I have to be honest with you. I don't believe in that. I, mean, uh, I, I don't want to to break your heart, but uh, I can't. I can't find possible. I'm ready to be to be destroyed when that will happen. So I, I, that's all. Everything is on record. So I can. Uh, you can go back and listen to this. But I don't see how is that possible that a player like Balotelli will go to third division. We're not talking about second division yeah. even. If there was Monza, you know, Monza with Berlusconi, Galliani, I would say that might happen, you know, uh, because it's a very big project uh, and I understand it's closer to Milan and uh, basically it's staying in Milan. Uh, I wouldn't understand that. But going to Como, uh, it's third division, right? They have good money because they have a property that will spend a lot of money in the summer and they, they, have, they have big ambitions. But imagine how that would be uh, seen outside the world, uh, even in the UK or uh, everywhere else. Mm. You know, uh, Balotelli playing in third division at 30 years old—that would be the end of his career, really—and <laughs> uh, that wouldn't make sense. Also, if his agent is still Mino Raiola, you know, yeah. uh, Mino Raiola don't bring players to third division. Sorry, yeah. I can't believe in that. <laughs> I think I think he will go to to Galaxy. I'm pretty sure about that, honestly. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. As always, with Mario Balotelli, we will see. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, that's all for another episode of the One Football Podcast. Thank you to Manu, Danny, Alex, Joel, Francesco, and Davide for joining me. Thank you to Elena Benitez for creating that brilliant image of Jurgen Klopp for this week's thumbnail. We'll be back next week to talk Premier League, Serie A, and maybe a little bit of French football too. If you'd like to get your questions Boom. into us, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com, or you can tweet us at onefootball. And until then, thanks for listening and take care.